0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the early read. Bit of a break. Took last week off after the college football national championship went out. Season on the high note. Hit the under in the national championship. College football plays on the early read. 91824 plus four plus four point seven one units. Not massive year, but hey, it's a steady profit if you you tailed along throughout the season. But we're gonna change gears here. College football gonna take a bit of a back seat. We're gonna open up the conversation. Gonna move around the betting space in one sport that I take a particular liking to is the college basketball space as you know, one part of the uh, odd screen closes, another one opens, and that's kind of college basketball taking full force. Conference playing full swing. We're starting to build up some data points on these teams, starting to see who's primed for a national championship run come tournament time, March Madness time, uh, to do that. Brought on one of the smartest guys in the space when it comes to college basketball. Been following him for years. Had the opportunity to speak to him a few times. And now he is our first college basketball guest on the Early Read. It's, of course, Mike Randall at Randall Rants on Twitter. He's the COO of the FTN Network. Mike does awesome stuff. He has a daily college basketball show that you can find on YouTube on the FTN Network YouTube page. Mike Thank you for joining the early read. How's it going, man?
1: Man, it is great to be with you. I'm honored. That's a too nice of an introduction here, but college basketball season in effect. I'm thrilled. We're finishing NFL at FTN, of course, but now college basketball is here. I'm a late night junkie. I'm watching games. My family's sleeping. I'm watching Pepperdine. This is my life, Reed. This is what I do.
0: Yeah, no, I'm pumped to have you on. And this is going to give the listeners a bit of a a catch up on the first two-ish months of college basketball and what you've missed this episode we're not going to talk about all the teams at the top of the odds board. We're not going to talk about every team in every conference, but we're going to try and hit on as many as we can to get people caught up because the screens turn from like Tuesday night match to Tuesday night SEC network where you have like Arkansas and Texas A&M playing like tackle football out there and stuff. So trying to get people up to date. I'm trying to make sure I have my bases covered as we get ready for the full slate. So I, Mike, I want to start pretty much highest level. You got Purdue at the top of the odds board. You got Arizona at the top of the odds board. There's, there's plenty of teams. I think, to me, as I look at this from afar, the transfer portal and the emergence of all these teams with a lot of returning production, but via the transfer portal, it's looking like another possible chaotic national championship picture where you might have teams like an FAU, a San Diego State, might be primed for runs due to different factors. But am I off base by saying it's like pretty – flat at the top where there's a lot of teams that could beat anyone on a given night relative to like what we're looking at like five, six years ago.
1: Yeah, it is because the older teams, the older players are now joining some of your mid majors. And so that's the big limiter. That's why you saw FAU make a run last year. That's why you saw Princeton beat Arizona because the mid major teams and some of your non-traditional larger school teams have older players. Prime example tonight, Nebraska, Nebraska, with an, one of the oldest teams in college basketball is going to Rutgers to play Rutgers here at home at what used to be the rack. that read used to be a slam dunk for Rutgers. You don't beat Rutgers at the rack. You could bring the Celtics in from the eighties and Rutgers is going to win at home. That's not the case anymore because veteran players and transfers are coming over and making it a little more unpredictable. So the overarching theme that I've seen so far in college basketball is I'm taking the home team with points unless you give me a compelling reason to lay the points because it is very hard to beat a team on the road unless you have veterans or transfers and you have a very unique situation. So that's my starting point is the top teams are solid, but you've seen it be larger amount of teams that can win the national title because of the transfer rule, because of NIL and because of some older players matriculating to some of the mid-majors.
0: Yeah, and you're seeing this in college football as well, but some of these uh, highly ranked recruits going to the Blue Bloods, going to the high majors, maybe they don't catch on. Maybe they're stuck behind a a junior who stays in the the trickle-down effect. Some of these guys who can't catch on at the big schools, they're transferring down to a a mid-major school. They're going out to the Mountain West, and they're playing at – a level that they're that's much worse than them that they're listen they were recruited to be at an sec school and now all of a sudden you're playing the mountain west and you're cooking this competition you know so i i totally see why the the landscape and now players getting paid there's more of a reason for these guys to stay and it's making the national championship picture that much more uh wide open chaotic whatever adjective you want to use so you mentioned home teams especially home underdogs are there any other and listen, trends are, I think, sometimes uh, a bad way to lead someone. But is there anything that maybe should be flashing to betters as they're getting into conference play outside of the home dog? But is there anything else you're noticing throughout this season that's sticking out that better should have an eye on? Again, not like blindly back this, but just you know keep your eye out for maybe this particular situation?
1: Yeah, a couple things. all coaches matter. And, mm-hmm. and maybe read in my handicapping, I really weighed it heavily, and some people would argue too much. I'll give you a perfect example though from last night. Love Rick Pitino. I've co- I covered Rick Pitino in St. John's at Nova last Saturday. I cover Rick Pitino at Creighton, should have won the game. Mm-hmm. Rick Pitino has COVID last night and he's ruled out before Seton Hall. Easy pivot to Seton Hall. Yeah. They won a 24 0 run that will get up by 27 points. Another example, small school coach that I've loved for a long time, Scott Cross from Troy. Scott Cross was at UT Arlington, good defensive coach, great offensive rebounder, rebounding teacher, and his teams always compete. The phrase I have trending on X right now is Scott Cross covers because he's always found a way for his teams to battle against some bigger schools. Don't look now. Top two teams in the country against the spread in college basketball cal state northridge 13 and 2 troy 11 2 and 1. so finding that the coaches matter to me shaheen holloway at seton hall tremendous coach saint peters he did an incredible job mm-hmm. they started off very slow they're gonna regress they're gonna get better and you see it now that they're dominating so the other thing that i think better should look out for is proven coaches who've done a very good job will regress to the way that they are Kansas loses at UCF. Last night I'm on them at o- uh, Oklahoma State covered no problem. Was up by double digits basically the whole game. Yeah. So coaching really matters. Either big time coaches or those small school guys that people don't know about.
0: And to go back to what you were mentioning about home dogs in conference play, especially, it's still a small sample size because in uh non-conference play, it's like your neutral, uh your neutral floors where no true road game. So it's still only like Schools are only playing like three, four road games, but there's some stark drop-offs with some teams leaving their home home stadium and going on the road. You're seeing a huge drop-off in certain teams. And uh, there's a few that, you know, when we get to the end of this podcast, looking at like some weekend spots, uh, later in the week spots, uh, there's a few that I'm targeting where, again, maybe it's a small sample size. And like you mentioned, it could regress. But some of these teams travel, There's a diff. there's a difference when they leave their home stadium where they hit the bus, they hit the airplane, whatever you do. They're playing like a different school out there. So I I do think that's something to keep an eye on as well. Home road splits because there's some teams that go nuts at home and they struggle away. Uh, Kansas State's another one. uh, Last night, Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, published Thursday, but uh, Kansas State, small home dog against Baylor. Exact uh, example you were talking about before. I was on Kansas State pull a game a tight game but they pull it out an outright win in overtime drone tank 10 and 0 in overtime but octagon of doom that's where kansas state really thrives they've been struggling away from home one other thing mike before we talk more about like specific teams i i don't know if it's a huge part of your handicapping but like advanced metric sites that give projected scores like ken palm Haslam metrics The openers are staying, and this has been happening for years because you're going to see certain situations arise. Big money comes in on one side and it's going to move the lines. There's been, when you get like close to tip off, there's been some like significant movements away from some of these advanced metric sites and projections. Is that something you're keeping an eye on? Is that maybe like a warning sign to you? Do you not really factor that in at all? I don't have some proven thought on it like I haven't I it's something I'm keeping an eye on and maybe I need more data to really make an opinion on it but anything stick out to you as that is that just more money entering the market or is it complete randomness
1: no, I, I think people want to gravitate because, look, Reed, they're making these bets in a short window. A lot of people work in the day job, coming home, want to throw a couple bets out there. They don't have time to do all of the research that we do. Mm-hmm. So what I think people gravitate towards is they want one thing. They want the metrics. They want the against the spread trend. They want the one data point and then make a conclusion on that. So, for example, I think all of it is sprinkles on the Sunday. Last night, Western Carolina was hosting Samford. Now, if you look at Samford, statistically, they're great on offense, and they are. I thought Western Carolina could keep that game close and win it because I think that I thought they would be able to slow down the Samford attack. Now, there was a variable. We talk about in poker, when you play poker, you want no bad beats. What you want is no outlier performance. So Achor Achor ended up having 35 points and was 5 of 9 from three-point range for Samford. Now, why does that matter, Reed? because he's averaged 8.5 made threes each of the last two seasons, okay? <laughs> so he had a night, and if that did not happen, Western Carolina wins. So in that situation, the metrics actually worked, but it's not a one-to-one comparison. It never is. You have to use it. You use trends a little bit, you use metrics a little bit, and you use feel. There is a feel element to it that I think has to come into play, a team that's lost several games in a row, that needs a win here, coming off a loss, look-ahead spots, all those things. But people want them to say it's one thing. It's not. It never is. It sprinkles on the Sunday. You can't ignore the metrics. The metrics have to be a major part of it, just as knowing how many outs you have to hit a flush on the river matters. But there is a part of looking at the person across to them and having a gut feel, and that's kind of what's playing into Nebraska tonight at Rutgers, something like that.
0: Yeah, 100%. As someone who had Western Carolina, that was a frustrating uh, watch there, uh, watching a tour tour go absolutely nuts because Western Carolina did uh, play the game on their terms, I'd say. I think uh, they were were pretty happy with uh, how the game played out, except for guy basically having his season quota of threes in one game on the road, no less. But, uh, yeah, uh, SoCon uh, shaping up to be another uh, awesome conference with a few uh, new contenders entering the mix. Okay, so – I tweeted out on Tuesday, the Ken Palm, this is at least how I like to look at it. This is not, I I guess it is proven, but it's not like I'm finding something that no one else can find. I like to call it the Ken Palm 2020. If you go back to 2002, all but one team has been inside Ken Palm's top 20 on both adjusted offensive efficiency and adjusted defensive efficiency, both sides of the ball. Again, that's factoring in the NCAA tournament where teams can improve their resume. So I guess you won't necessarily know beforehand, but you could get an idea if you look through the buckets that I tweeted out. I tweeted out the bona fide contenders who fit the bill right now, teams that were top 40 on both sides of the ball. And then I like to because these are ones that I think could maybe be right for an upset. Your one trick ponies, one team that is top 20 on one side of the ball but outside the top 40 on the other side of the ball. So you go to my Twitter, at Reed Wallach, to go through that. But I wanted to talk about a few of the teams that I find interesting, Mike. But before we do that, I could go through the odds if you want. If I had to give you a free bet right now, you don't know the bracket, you don't know anything, but if you had to take your money and say this team is going to win the national championship, who would it be and why?
1: Very simple. It's Kentucky. Okay. Right off the bat, it's Kentucky. Calipari has gotten a lot of unfair criticism in Kentucky down in Lexington because he's only won one title in basically a decade, Reed. You know how many people would like to have one title, okay? (laughs) And every year they're competitive. Now, listen, I know they've struggled in the postseason, but look at what he has this year. He has a great team that's hitting threes early in the year, shooting 39.8% that's top 10. That never happens, Reed. Usually Kentucky – Is slow from three point range and gets better. They are twelve and three, two and one. They lost on a neutral to Kansas. No shame in that. They lost at home to UNC Wilmington. I like UNC Wilmington. Everyone has a bad loss. They beat Penn. They beat North Carolina. They beat Florida. They beat Missouri, and they went away to Texas A&M and lost in overtime in a game that everyone thought they were going to lose flat out. And Texas A&M is a Final Four team. It's Kentucky. It's not close. They have depth. They have plenty of guys playing multiple minutes. Trey Mitchell inside. Rob Dillingham, who is from the um, Overtime Elite Netflix special, which has been incredible. I've been watching it. He is coming off the bench. He almost won the game for them in the Texas A and M game, and he doesn't even start. And he ended up putting up 15 points. It was three of ten from three point range with four assists. It's Kentucky. Cal has done it before. He's being underrated. People think he's not as good anymore. He could be on his way out. People are saying they're nuts. Every year, Kentucky's good. It's them. It's not close.
0: 20 to 1 right now, which is like towards the top of the board. What's interesting, though, is, and Kentucky was one of the teams I wanted to ask about because I think everyone has been tuned into a Kentucky game, even if you're lightly following college basketball, and saying, wow, this team is a little bit different than it's been over the last few years, it seems, with their explosive guard play, bringing back a guy like Antonio Reeves, who's been shooting the lights out, uh, Reed Shepard. Great first name. I call him Wallach Shepard. He's been playing great as a freshman. So um, completely agree that I think Kentucky's in the mix. But what's interesting is they actually fall into that one-trick pony uh, group of teams in terms of uh, Ken Palm, where they're outside the top 50 in defense efficiency. I think where there is possibly Kentucky's falling back is, of course, on the defensive end, because we have noted that their offense is absolutely explosive. I'd say it's the interior I'd say their front court is maybe a little less uh, st- sh- uh, stringent than their uh, back court. I feel much more comfortable in their back court play come March. Maybe they run into like an oversized team. Maybe it's like an Arizona type with uh, Balo download or Ed, uh and Purdue. But I do agree, Kentucky, while they might fall into a trap of they're not analytically a national championship contender, they pass the eye test for sure. And they totally look like a national championship contender. The other team I want to ask you about from the SEC is Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee with Rick Barnes has a propensity to uh, squander uh, moments come March. Uh, they've lost plenty of close games, but this team looks a little bit different in my opinion. They are 21st on the offensive side of the ball, top five on the defensive side of the ball. But to me, what makes this team different is Dalton connect. The Northern Colorado transfer wasn't at three straight games, a 30 plus just absolutely torched. Florida on Tuesday afternoon app went to Georgia and sparked a 21 to four run to get over the hump on the road in sec play Tennessee has lacked in my opinion, a wing bucket getter like this in connect. And I think Tennessee again, same odds as Kentucky 20 to one. Do you buy into the Tennessee hype? Or do you think that this is another year where Tennessee is going to be analytic darling look like one of the top teams and squander uh potential opportunity once again?
1: Yeah, the criticism of Barnes is he's like the flu. It comes in like crazy, and then you don't hear about it in March. (laughs) I will tell you this, Rita. I have found that good coaches find a way to get the chip at some point. Rick Barnes has been to a Final Four with TJ Ford in Texas. Rick Barnes has the style that no one likes. Worked for Virginia one year. Virginia Mm -hmm. got upset by UMBC, but no one remembers the fact that DeAndre Hunter was out that game. And no one cares because DeAndre Hunter averaged 12 points a game. Yeah, Reed, he's been starting for the Atlanta Hawks for six years. So obviously DeAndre Hunter was a critical part of that. So no one talks about it, but he found a way to get to the window. Tennessee was up big on Florida Atlantic last year, and MSG was at that game. Then they self-destructed in the second half. Maybe having a bucket getter like Dalton Connect would have changed that. So yes, I think Tennessee is very much in play. I think they're absolutely ready for Rick Barnes. He's a solid coach. The best thing you can do in college basketball is have sustained success. This is a Tennessee team that is really tough Calipari. What's the old adage I heard once Calipari beats Pearl Barnes beats Calipari. And then yeah, Barnes beats Calipari who beats Pearl, who beats Barnes. Like that's the way (laughs) it works there. Yeah. So Tennessee matches up well with Kentucky. It's a great point. People don't like their style, but I'm telling you this, at some point Rick Barnes will get back to the final four his style does work because it wins every year. He just needs a little bit of luck.
0: I think on the Tennessee point, this year looks different. If you just go back 2019 uh, from them on Tennessee out to the top 150 in terms of adjusted tempo per pump, they're playing at a top 100 rate this year. They're playing much faster. Again, you when you have a reliable weapon like Connect that can really unlock your offense. You don't need to hunt for the best shot. You could kind of give the ball to connect one read and go, you know, get downhill, hit a slasher. So I think Tennessee, again, they're still number two in adjusted defense efficiency. It's that the offense has taken a significant leap forward. Uh 130th in effective field goal percentage. They have size down low with a do, uh, creating second chances. I think Tennessee, two three seed at least, come tournament time with their strength of schedule already. I think Tennessee is right for. A deep run come March, and famous last words, I'll trust uh, Rick Barnes to go uh, make a national title run. So I, I'm a believer in Rocky Top this season. I think Tennessee, they have the profile to me of a at least a Final Four team, I think 100%, especially given how wide open this tournament is. Connect, best wing in the country so far this year, maybe from uh, at least impressive in my opinion.
1: Yeah, very few guys that can get over thirty. He's gotten thirty in two of the last three and three of the last five. He's been outstanding. And that's the missing piece that they didn't have. Everyone yeah. scored eight points. They were going last year, Reed, they were going to Santiago Viscovi at the end of games. I mean, think about that for a second. Yeah. So yeah, now they definitely I, I, I love it. Yeah. They get they they get hot from three point range. The game's over because and their defense is too good.
0: You put someone like Viscovi, though, who's a A lights out three-point shooter, but off the catch where he could kind of stand on the wing and be the secondary threat, all of a sudden that Tennessee offense looks a lot more scary than drain the clock, hunt for a shot, almost like a Virginia light. And again, that's why Virginia loses to UMBC. Those low-possession games opens up a little bit more variance where if a team runs hot from three, you're in trouble. Tennessee isn't playing that type of basketball anymore. They're playing a much more up-tempo style. So Tennessee, I'm a believer in. Mike mentioned Kentucky. Let's talk Big Ten teams. I'm a Big Ten guy. I went to Wisconsin. Wisconsin actually starting to uh, you know turn the script a little bit. I know they lost uh, this week to Penn State on the road. Never easy to win the Big Ten, but I've changed my tune on Wisconsin. I'm a, a believer that they can maybe you know I won't say national title, but like Sweet 16, they look much better. Overall, though, the Big Ten, in my opinion, has become a victim of its own like-minded style of play. Because what happens is the Big Ten, they get the nationally televised games. They have a top-ranked team. They all, you know, they have veterans. They have big men everywhere. Everyone's familiar with all these Big Ten brands. All these schools typically play the same style, though, and you get to the tournament and they're outmatched because they don't have the athleticism that a Big 12 team has or they can't handle the defenses of the SEC or Pac-12 kind of blast them. Is this year different, though? This isn't a Purdue-only question, but this is even Michigan State. This is a Wisconsin question. Is this year another case of Big Ten being overrated because they kind of beat each other up and prop, it, prop themselves up? Or is the Big Ten maybe right for a bit of a bounce back? The problem with the
1: Big Ten, read has been that they don't have bucket getters outside mm. of the bigs at the end of games. I mean, they've had Zach Eady, They've had Trace Jackson Davis. uh, They've had those players. They don't have those players usually. But if we like Tennessee, why would we not like Wisconsin? The problem is Wisconsin maybe doesn't have that sort of big name player. Maybe, But but that's exactly, you took the words out of my mouth. (laughs) He could be that type of guy, that sort of explosive guy. So I love Wisconsin this year. They are going to pound Indiana on Friday. You can take Mm -hmm. that one to the bank. So I do like them. I'm worried with Michigan state and I put this out on social media with that last rant by Tom Izzo. I love Tom Izzo. I love uh, Tyson Walker since he came over from Northeastern, but I'm a little concerned because enough of the complaining, Tom, just get the job done here. Like you have Malik call, you have Sissoko, you have some players, get the job done. Don't get blown out at Northwestern. I don't want to hear about it anymore. You have Hogart, you have Aikens, you have all these players. So, That is the issue is that the big 10 gets a bad rap because they're not getting the dynamic Dalton connect wings. They have the bigs. Edie's legendary. They've had those sort of players. Dickinson was at Michigan, et cetera. But if you're going to win in March, you need perimeter scoring. You need perimeter players. And they have not had that, but I do think your best chance is Wisconsin here. And i am impressed with Illinois too, without Terrence Shannon, really Brad Underwood has done a nice job, but they need Shannon. I think to really make a deep run.
0: Yeah, I agree. Now let's talk Purdue. Uh, another one we were talking about Rick Barnes earlier. Matt Painter, uh, he is very familiar with uh, March futility. Uh, he, I know they call what's the John Rossing thing? It's like January, February, Izzo. It's like the op. I like to do January, February, not Painter. April, May, June. Uh, Edie, he's better. He is fully comfortable. Fletcher Lawyer seems to have turned a corner. This Purdue team does look better than last year, but is this all for naught and they're going to be a number one seed again and they'll be really good, but it's eventually they're going to run into big 12 sec, big East school and they'll get ran off the floor in like the sweet 16 or something, or is this year potentially different and Purdue could maybe make some noise that has kind of escaped them over the past several years under Matt Painter.
1: Yeah. I've been a defender of Painter because I think some of this read is unjustified. I mean, if they don't have the, if they don't run in, to Virginia hitting that miracle shot mm-hmm. back in 2019 they may win the national title there with Carson Edwards talking about what we just said finally they somebody has a perimeter player in the big 10 so yeah I get the fact we don't like the fact that Painter was round one out in 2023 round one out in 2021 round one out in 2016 round one out 2015 I get that but that happens to a lot of coaches he's made three he's made four sweet 16s and he made the elite eight if Matt Painter wins the title. And Kite doesn't hit that miracle shot at the end. And they, A, they make a final four. Okay. Yeah. Or they went, no one's saying anything about Matt Painter. I am an old man. So I'm going to defend the fact that sustained success is not easy. The idea that someone can just come to Purdue and do what Painter does is out of their mind. But to your point, after last year, you got to make a run this year. And you certainly have the guards that are better to do it. Um, they struggle at times to get that consistency from the backcourt. You know, Matt was making a joke last night. We can never get Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith both to play well on the same night. Yeah. If they actually do that, they're never going to lose. But Edie is tremendous. He's got to make, he makes a final four. I want everybody to get off a of Painter's back, but I get it. If they go out in the round of 32 is going to be a problem this year.
0: Yeah. So are, are you, you're buying Purdue though this year? I'm yeah. not saying again, they're, first of all, they're the favorites to win the national championship. So it's not like we're going out on a limb here, but you think that, this team is a little bit more real and they have a little bit more behind them relative to last year, where even if they got past FDU, that, that bracket wasn't setting up so nicely, in my opinion, at least for Purdue, where that Memphis FAU eight, nine game wasn't going to sit that nicely. Then you run into Tennessee, the following, like that wasn't, I didn't believe in Purdue last year to begin with. I'm a little bit more optimistic this year that this could be something that they could turn into a run, but are you a believer relative to last year?
1: Yeah, I am. I, I think you're right. I liked FAU last year. I mean, I, I was know the FAU doing. guy. So I had them beating Purdue. And then I'm laughing when Purdue loses to FDU. And then FDU gave FAU the scare of its life in the second round. But yeah, I, I think this will even out. I've heard, you know, remember Bill Self, when he won his first title against Memphis. Remember that? What mm-hmm. did he do after they won? As soon as they won an overtime, Chalmers hit the shot, all that stuff to go over. He wiped his brow. So, like, there is this sense of relief that needs to happen. But, yeah, I think this could be the year. I like Wisconsin and Purdue more than I have in past years because of the dynamic of the veteran player making a bigger impact in these matchups. Yes, this could be Purdue's year. Yes, it could be Tennessee and Wisconsin. Right now, tournament starts tomorrow. I'm liking them a lot more than I did last year.
0: 100%. And then conference we haven't mentioned much of, but could argue maybe the best this year. I Maybe it's the Big 12, but Big East. Got UConn, the defending champions. Klingon's been out for a little bit. I don't believe, maybe he's back Saturday, they're saying, but he's back soon. So we're going to get a good sample of UConn with Klingon back. And he, I mean, they were looking like world beaters through non-con. Creighton. I personally am down on this Creighton team. I think that they're – I don't know if there's a makeup of this team that is Final Four good. The team I bet – the one team I bet before the season to win the national championship – of course, this is an ongoing thing. You're know, you buying and selling teams. But the one team I wanted to get in on early, and ironically, the price is pretty much where I got it uh, at the beginning of the season as it is right now after a, a downturn, Marquette. So it's my podcast, so I want to get your opinion on Marquette. But I also after that, can we talk some Big East basketball? Marquette, they lose two in a row in Big East play to Seton Hall. And Butler, come back on MLK Day, and they beat Villanova. But I watched the game. They smoked Villanova, in my opinion. Marquette, do you see them as legit this year, or you think maybe they're not as good as maybe we had hoped after a good run at Maui?
1: Just a reminder, Reed, that Auburn and UConn when they UConn won the title, and Auburn made a run there to the final game. Okay, I'm sorry, to the final four against Virginia. Then they right. fouled Kyle Guy in a three-pointer. Otherwise, they'd be in the final game. Both of them had losing streaks of three or more games early in the season.
0: It's a long everyone, season.
1: everyone forgets that. So I like teams with a good coach, with talent, who people liked preseason that then hit the skids earlier in the year. I think you know we're talking about Marquette. They'll mm-hmm. be fine. Tyler Kolick is great. They lost away at Seton Hall. What's the shame in that? Seton Hall is really good right now. They're beating everybody. And then Butler at home, that was a stumble. But okay, everybody has a bad loss. That was a gritty comeback against Villanova, who now has Justin Moore back. So they're a much better team. Villanova, I think, was undefeated in the Big East going into that game, I believe. Oh, they had one loss to St. John's rather, foreign 4-1. So they were playing well. So I like Marquette. I think they'll be fine. They're missing. Uh, the, the, they need Ecuador to play well. And Omax Prosper, who ended up rocketing up the draft boards when he ended up going to the draft last year, is the type of player that they need. I believe in Shaka. I believe in Cam Jones. They do have some injuries they have to overcome. Yeah. I think those are bigger issues, Mitchell and then Sean Jones. But I do believe I'll get it right. Now, with them, am I ready to be as confident as I am about like Wisconsin? No, because it's going to be matchup dependent for me.
0: Yeah, I think Big East is... Just a grind. You have different styles in the Big East. It's never easy to win on the road. Any I mean, anywhere in the country, it's never easy to win on the road. But it feels like Big East are just battle after battle. Uh, I think Marquette, if they could find their three-point level from last year, they're out to the top 200 three-point percentage. Cole, like has been ice cold from the perimeter. If they could get an uptick in three-point percentage in Big East play. It's all systems go. Uh, you mentioned losing streaks. Again, this is like kind of just rule of thumb with me with like playing these national championship futures. You got to find the right buy price with these teams. You got to find when are you supposed to get in. Is there maybe a tough schedule coming up, like back-to-back road games, and then you get in right after that? Uh, UConn, I mean, right that January slump you were talking about—that's when I played them last year at thirty-five to one to win it all. And meanwhile, they smoke everyone on their way to the title. So, completely agree with you there. UConn, you a believer?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think their floor is higher than mm-hmm. any team in college basketball. I remember the Florida back-to-back wins, Reed, in the mid-2010-ish uh, decade because mm-hmm. or early, right? probably before then, because I love that team. So I loved the back-to-back. I tend to shy away from it. I think it's difficult. Dan Hurley does a great job. Clinging comes back, it's a difference maker. Tristan Newton has eradicated all of those thoughts about how we were wondering if he was a championship point guard. Now he's a year later and he's actually dominating and playing very, very well. They're just really well coached. They're well coached. They have a good camaraderie. They have good balance all over the place. They're very tough. Yes, am I going to pick them to win the title again? No, because I just think it's hard to go back to back. But they have the highest floor of any team, even Kentucky. I just think there's, there's no way UConn's getting upset early. They're just not teams with bigs tend not to get upset early in the tournament. I call it the Tyler Hansborough rule. Like you're not, you know, even when Cody Zeller and all those guys are um, Tyler Zeller, those players were, they don't, the big keeps you from the early upset unless you're Purdue. Uh, But like (laughs) usually that equates. So I don't think UConn is going to be an upset alert right now. You made me project. They're very much a loss in the elite eight or sweet 16.
0: And you're saying, I think I know where you're going this but the bigs keep you from like the early upset because usually there's such a size advantage, especially a guy like Klingen, who's what, seven, one, seven, two, just a massive guy could eat up fouls, reliable kind of, he's a safety net from maybe a mid-major coming in and blasting you like from three or something. They're just reliable. Is that what you were going with the Tyler Hansborough rule?
1: Yeah. I just think to have that security, when you play a smaller school, the smaller school usually doesn't have a big, yeah. It doesn't, because otherwise that big would be at a larger school. So <laughs> I think having that big really makes a difference, which is what makes FDU's one even more incredible.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's talk some spots, or uh, before we move to that, any other teams we didn't mention that you think people need on their radar? We didn't really hit on the Big 12, Pac-12. 12. Any other teams you think need some sort of shine and betters need to keep their eye on as conference play picks up, or do you want to talk some spots for the rest of this week? No, but I
1: do think the Mountain West is interesting. I, I, I oh, think yeah. the Mountain – you know, Utah State lost last night in New Mexico. New Mexico is getting everything going here. But Greg Osibor uh, came over with Danny Sprinkle from Montana State. They are legit. You know San Diego State can make a run. Leon Rice does a great job at Boise. Colorado State's – I mean, we're looking at six really good teams in the Mountain West. Remember, this used to be a, a conference read that struggled to get, like, maybe one team. Only the qualifier, and now there's six teams that can make a run. So Mountain West, really, with a nice bounce back, very impressed with what they've done so far.
0: Yeah, they need to. Uh, San Diego State, I think, finally broke through for them, but they've uh, what's the, they've gone like multiple tournaments without wins. I forgot what the the stat is. Like they have like habitually struggled come tournament time, but they make for great late night basketball for us East Coast guys. So uh, I definitely mm-hmm. uh, New Mexico, especially at the pit, is like just an absolute. Death to some of these teams. Yeah. I,
1: and, and last night was easy because Utah State had not played anyone really that tough. Yeah. So that was five and a half, and it was ten the whole time.
0: Yeah. And another team the Mountain West, UNLV. Record not that good. They play way up and down. Uh, kind of tough to get a beat on which team is going to show up. But plenty of talent there. The Boons have uh, transferred over. A lot of talent there, UNLV, really like a frisky underdog bet if you're getting like multiple possessions there. They play slow. They have a lot of really athletic players and could give some of those upper echelon teams your New Mexico, San Diego States, to give them some trouble come uh, later in Mountain West play. Yeah Keelan, was,
1: yeah. yeah, Keelan Boone back. They had some players missing, but – their big game that impressed me was the one against Creighton, just an absolute huge win, 79-64 in the semi-home game on Wednesday, December 13th. They've lost since then away at San Diego State and home by one point to Utah State. No shame in those.
0: Yeah, 100%. Winning, on the mountain, winning in the Mountain West, also a tough one and with uh, different altitudes everywhere, uh, tough travel usually. And we didn't even mentioned uh, Colorado State also uh, shaping up to be a tournament team yet again. Spots for this weekend, though. I have a few circle that I want to ask you about my opinion. Uh, this could go all again. This is publishing Thursday morning. This is going to go through Saturday. So we don't have actual odds. The tracker I'm going to keep for just college football, but my bet stamp at RW 33, will have all the bets. If we're mentioning them, if they fall into range, I'll go, I'll go first. This is Thursday night. So tonight, if you're listening to this Colorado home for Oregon, we were talking about, Home road splits, true road games. Colorado is one of the most uh, aggressive home field advantages in all of college basketball with their uh, playing at altitude in Boulder. Playing an Oregon team that has rarely played on the road this season. Have a few road wins. I think they're in for a bit of a setback, though, if you kind of look at their underlying metrics. Uh, This is a team outside the top 40 in terms of Kempom's um, top 50 in terms of uh, Ken Palm's rating shot quality also thinks they're due for some regression as well. I think Colorado at home, Oregon's not going to expose Colorado with their turnover issues or anything. Uh, Oregon bad on the interior where Colorado likes to get inside. I think Colorado dictates this one, Oregon dead last in the PAC 12 and two point percentage defense. That's despite being first in the conference in terms of win loss record. I like Colorado six or better, six and a half or better. Mike, any thoughts there in the PAC 12 game on Thursday night?
1: Yeah, you know, it's always interesting when you have to make that dreaded double trip because of the way the Pac-12 uh, travels. But that, of course, read won't be a problem anymore moving forward. But Colorado and Utah back-to-back, I have found that the first game on this trip is always lethal. I like Colorado in this matchup also. Oregon 5-0. and And there's a stat out there. Gosh, i got to find it. I should have had this. This is a great point. You're going to trigger something here on my social account. Oregon has, like, never won at Colorado, I think, uh, since joining the Pac-12. Or or maybe they won – did they win last year? I'll do no, they lost – here it is, really quick. They lost last year. Uh, they, they, they won two years ago. So I think they've won once at Colorado. Yes, that's it. They've won once at Colorado since joining the Pac-12. It's always been a rough place for them to go. So it's a great call.
0: Yeah, I, I think Colorado – Team that grades out really nice analytically. I love Simpson, the guard. I I think this is setting up for a really good spot. You're getting Colorado. They're 3-3 and in Pac-12 play, but go through the losses. They played three straight road games. One to Arizona where they got absolutely dump trucked and were injured. Lose at Arizona State by a possession. Lose at Cal by four points. So I think you're starting to get this team on the upswing. You're going to have to pay a little bit. It's not going to come cheap, but I think six and a half or better Uh, is a play on the buffs. Any other games, Mike, that stick out to you on the weekend slate?
1: Yeah, I mean, the one I'll jump to in the same day on Thursday. Listen, maybe I'm a broken record read. Scott Cross covers. He's now on the road at South Alabama. So that's going to be a road matchup here on Friday night. South Alabama, not great on offense, not great defending inside the arc, and teams are shooting only 67% from the free throw line against them. That's not going to be a problem for Scott Cross here. The Trojans are 5-0. Maybe you're going to tell me regression. I'm not buying it. I think they cover here on the road. I believe in Scott Cross number two in the nation in college basketball against the spread.
0: If uh, they make a run to the tournament, I uh, can't wait to see you take a uh, Troy final four tickets uh, <laughs> all the way up. the All the way up is like a 14 seed.
1: Reed, I'll put his face on Twitter. Every freaking chance I get until he tells me to block it. I love that guy.
0: He covers bigger game. This is Saturday. We didn't talk about Alabama who has the number one offense in terms of Kempom Tennessee. I mean, again, this is a projection. So you might not get like on the money, but this is typically where the openers are going to be plus or minus a point or so. Tennessee minus three, Kempom has it. I think, I don't know, Alabama this is a team outside the top 50 in terms of uh, defensive efficiency going on the road here. Uh, if you go if you count road games, they're outside the top 125 per Bartovic in terms of defensive efficiency. I think this is setting up for a Tennessee slam spot. We don't need to go into the details of Tennessee. We already did, but I don't know if I trust Alabama traveling here. Tennessee, a disciplined defense at that. I think they could limit the extras for Alabama. Their threes and layups uh, offense under NATO. It's not sure that's going to work. I I like Tennessee quite a bit. Uh, Two possessions are better. I would uh, lay with the balls.
1: Yeah. Let's see if NATO decides to push an opposing player like he did last night against Dalton connect. I agree with you. Love Tennessee in this spot, Alabama, Creighton, Chattanooga, those teams that rely on the three. I am not a fan of, I am not someone who's going to bet on them because the variance is so high. So I'm with you. Give me Tennessee all the way.
0: Any, any other games, uh, maybe on the Saturday slate that jump out to you?
1: You know, I am impressed so far with what I've seen from BYU. They're going on the road at Texas tech. Texas tech is going to come off a monster battle here against Houston tonight.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
1: Houston pounds them because Houston has lost two in a row. We talked about that really impressed with Mark Pope. Watch out here with his BYU team. Um, they're going to end up BYU is going to be away at Texas tech. And they're probably going to be either getting a point or laying a point. I think they're for real. They're great on defense. They're great. They make free throws. I like BYU here against Texas tech, who I still think has some off the court issues with what's going on with Pop Isaacs, et cetera. So um, I'm not, I'm not passing on BYU here. I, I was really down on them. Reed, I was wrong coming into the big 12.
0: They're really good. I, I, Agree with you. I thought BYU was in for a huge course correction and maybe they got it uh, against Cincinnati and uh, they struggle with UCF, that press defense, but these, it seems like BYU though is getting acclimated very quickly to the heavy ball pressure schemes that the big 12 is showing them. So that like that learning curve that we thought maybe would take three weeks, maybe only took like a week or so. And now this team is getting going and I don't want to forecast too too far ahead. Just keep in mind Next Saturday, BYU uh, – no, sorry, it's next Tuesday. BYU home for Houston. The one way – I'm not saying I'm going to bet BYU, just something to keep an eye on. The one way to beat Houston, don't put the ball on the floor. Do not put the ball on the floor because they'll just take it from you. BYU, third in the country in terms of assist rate. They assist on 67% of their buckets. If BYU could scheme up some motion offense here to maybe limit – Houston on the extras at home in Provo, where they're going to have a decisive home court advantage. This is the first time these big 12 teams are taking that trip to altitude. BYU home. Uh, Kempom's got this Houston by two. Maybe, you you know, you get a bump here or there. So BYU, something I've circled for Tuesday. Not sure if I'm going to play it, not sure if we'll get the number, but that's something to keep an eye on.
1: That is a great matchup. And and if Houston doesn't get this game tonight, they're going to start to get desperate real quick. Uh, I was on the action pod with Stucky and we were talking about futures and one of them was Houston to win the big 12 at plus two twenty, I think it was because people still believe in Kansas read Kansas can be happy because they don't have a shooting guard. They have trouble with that shooting spot right now. It's either McCullough or it's Dickinson and that's it. So yeah, Houston's got to get right, but they're going to get right. They're
0: going to win this big 12. They got to win a game like this at BYU. 100%. One more I had written down. I'm a little annoyed at what happened last night, because I thought I think it's going to squeeze out some value, in my opinion. Cincinnati, home for Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma is fairly overrated, given where they were earlier in the season. They're 20th in terms of Kempom, but just look under the hood. And I know they have played two road games and they beat Iowa State at home, but it's been a tricky Big 12 start. They're generating turnovers on 8% of defensive possessions, which would be like far and away the worst in all of college basketball. Again, small sample size, but just shows that maybe this Oklahoma team isn't translating to big 12 play Cincinnati, their biggest issue has been protecting the ball. They're going to be home in this one. They got that win against TCU at home. I was kind of hoping almost like, you know, when like you have a spot circle and you're like, all right, lose, or like, don't look like, don't have all the attention on you that you're winning these games. So like you got some potential value. I have Cincinnati circled. You got Oklahoma playing tonight, Wednesday, while we're recording against West Virginia, who they're probably going to smash at home. Then they go back on the road to play Cincinnati. And if you get Cincinnati like around a bucket, two and a half, I think Cincinnati could be a go at home. I just don't know if I trust this Oklahoma team. A lot of really like uh, polar sides of the spectrum in terms of like defensive metrics where like they're not turning teams over, but they're also allowing teams to shoot like a top 10 percentage in terms of three. So they're shutting down opponents from scoring, but they're not really slowing teams down. I think Cincinnati could potentially dominate this matchup at home.
1: Yeah. You got to win at home, especially in the big 12 and Cincinnati West Miller has done a really nice job. I thought they would be okay at home, but tough on the road, but that one at BYU was impressive. So, I do like Oklahoma teams are shooting really well against the free throw line against them. I think tonight against West Virginia should be a slam spot. If they don't get tonight, I'll be worried about Oklahoma because I think they really should come out and punish a poor West Virginia team that doesn't have uh, Jesse Edwards yet.
0: Yeah. Any other game stand out to you that uh, you wanted to mention uh, ahead of this weekend?
1: Uh, I love UNC Wilmington. They're going to play Charleston here. That's a big matchup in the CAA. Uh, They're going to, this is the one and only time that they're going to end up playing Charleston just because of the way the schedule works out. Or they have two, I'm sorry. They're going to start by playing them at home and then they go away. But they got to get this one at home. I love UNC-Wilmington, but remember they started with a loss at Drexel and a loss at Towson. Then they beat Monmouth and Delaware. They should pound Elon tomorrow night or tonight rather on Thursday. And then this Charleston game is a big one. If Wellington is as good as I think they are, remember that one over Kentucky, they're going to have to get in here. They need a couple wins in a row. It would start with beating a Charleston team that usually expects to crush this conference here and is a perfect 4 and 0, probably 5 and 0 heading into that game on the road after beating Towson on Thursday.
0: Yeah. Uh, that game is Saturday. Kempom's got it at UNC Wilmington minus three. That's their projection. Obviously, both teams play another game, so it might move a little bit. But UNC Wilmington's small favorite, uh, Mike, potentially landing mike appreciate all the time we ran through a bunch of teams bunch of conferences bunch of games ran through a lot there in about 45 minutes please plug all the great work you're doing at the ftn network you guys absolutely crush uh all different works of uh sports betting so make sure you're plugged into everything they're doing but mike please take this time to uh share your stuff
1: yeah, I love it. FTM Fantasy, we have a new website coming out this, this year, which I'm really excited about. FTM Bets, our models with Frank Brank have been outstanding. You can follow me on X at Randall Rant and just follow the account there at FTM Fantasy. All our stuff, my college basketball betting show, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday. Saturday is a huge one, 10.30 in the morning. I bring coffee, sometimes grapefruit juice. Get together, give me your picks, give me your comments. Tell me you hate me, you love me, whatever it is. But we have been scalding hot lately. Up 36 units on that show since December 30th. So really excited.
0: And- this is january 17th that's correct that's been a hard run (laughs) that Um, is some sort of run uh mike seriously i really appreciate man coming on we really uh crushed through a bunch there in less than an hour i usually uh these usually get a little long-winded so i appreciate uh we kept it concise and i didn't uh, keep you for too long uh mike again he's the best follow him on twitter x whatever you call it at randall rant uh you can follow me on twitter at reed wallach the bet stamp has all my bets at rw33 And, uh, yes, stay plugged into the early read. We're going to have a bunch of different kind of guests, have a lot of fun stuff set up for the Super Bowl, coming down the pipe, college basketball season in full swing, of course. So we're going to be locked in there. Mike, appreciate it, man. Best of luck tonight. Best of luck the rest of the season. We're going to have to do this again soon.
1: Dude, it's an honor, Reed. Thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it.